Happy Easter indeed. How are you guys? Good? I love it. You look good. Excited to be in church. Excited to be alive. Excited Jesus is back from the dead. Anybody else? All right, good, good. Well, if you're new here, I'm going to go ahead and tell you up front because you're going to find out anyways, but uh, we're just a bunch of imperfect people pursuing a perfect God. We have a dream of building a front porch in Austin to welcome people home and uh, be, a, be a space and a family that is easy to invite friends to and easy to feel like you have a home at. And we'll never do that perfectly, but just know that that is our heartbeat, man. That's what gets us out of the bed in the morning. It really is. And we just happen to believe that because Jesus is back from the dead, um, I don't know where you're at with him and where you're at with your faith. I don't know how you walked in here today, but I promise you he loves you exactly how you walked in here and loves you way too much to let you walk back out of here the same way. Amen. And you might not be where you want to be yet in your faith. You might not be um, where you want to be yet in life. But because of Easter, you guys, you're not where you should be and you're not where you used to be. We are here to celebrate an event that in every way imaginable has changed history, right? Jesus literally has divided history in half. We know this, right? Like BC and AD and common misconception. AD does not stand for after death. It is a Latin phrase called Anno Domini, and it means the year of our Lord, which means we started counting up the moment the Son of God came to this planet, right? So today is April 21st, 2019. I got that right? And everybody would agree with that. Every people group, every tribe, tongue, and every religion on this planet would, would agree with what I just said, which means everybody is telling time based on a Jewish carpenter. All right? And not because he was great at making tables, although I'm sure he made great tables, right? But because something happened, man, 2,000 years ago that literally has changed everything. You think about it like fads come and go and people come and go, uh, but Jesus will not go away. It's probably why he drives so many people crazy. John Ortberg said, he would say that uh, Jesus is history's most familiar figure, right? He has taught Christians and non-Christians alike about things like hope and compassion and forgiveness. He's brought inspiration to art and science and medicine and government and education, right? He, uh, like the topic of Jesus, have you ever noticed, like the topic of Jesus is either warmly accepted, I'd love to talk about it, or bitterly avoided, I'd hate to talk about it. But it's never like neutral, right? Because Jesus is absolutely everywhere. It's in his name that, that grateful people worship and desperate people pray and angry people cuss. If you think about it, every human being, no matter what their impact was on this planet, that impact has begun to decline the moment they died. And that's true for everybody except one person except for one person. He is history's most influential figure. And 2,000 years ago, they killed him. And today, millions, if not billions of people try to forget him, but he will not go away. And I want to look at that today, the story of exactly what did happen. And I want to show you that all of it happened between two fires. It's going to make more sense, I promise you. But if you're taking notes, write that down. If you're taking notes on your phone and you're super techie and you want to do the emoji title, you can do that. The heart of the story 
the heart of the story happened between two fires. And so, God, we love you. Jesus, I pray that you would break through into this place today. I pray regardless of what kind of day anybody in here has had, I pray that, God, you would speak to us in a new and a fresh way. Do not let us walk out of here the same way that we walked in, God. Would we encounter you? We just say, Holy Spirit, come and do your thing. Transform us from the inside out, God. Would today be part of testimonies years from now? God, we love you, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, all right. So have you ever noticed, that was like Matthew McConaughey, I just, all right, all right, all right. Have you, have you ever noticed that uh, songs and music has like a very powerful, nostalgic effect? So like, I don't know what your first album was. The first album I ever bought was Baby One More Time by Britney Spears. Actually, yeah, it was. It was my dad who bought it for me. Ryan got in sync. We were at Walmart, and I got Britney Spears. And I, I, like, I remember the look in my dad's eyes at the checkout, like swiping his credit card, thinking, this is the rest of my life. This is what we are listening to in the car for the next 6 to 12 months. This is where I'm at right now. Great. And uh, like that album, although like at the time I had no idea what the lyrics meant, like I put that album like in my, I was going to say in the CD player, but who does that anymore? Like in my headphones, I like am back on the blacktop at Wood Ranch Elementary School in Simi Valley, California. It was the anthem for my recess. And I'm back there in my imagination playing handball and playing basketball and draining three-pointers on a seven-foot hoop to impress Ashley Breen, the first girl I ever had a crush on. And she just wanted to be friends. She broke my heart. But baby, one more time, soda pop, crazy. Sometimes, those are, that's one, two, three, and four on that album. It really is. <laughs> it's powerful, man. It's my point. I just made it. Um, let's see. We Ready by Archie. We Ready. You know what I'm talking about? Any, I don't, I'm not going to sing it. No, I'm not going to sing it. I might sing later, but I'm not singing that. Takes me back to my days as the captain, the captain of the freshman B basketball team. At Highlands Ranch High School, the year we went 13, I'm sorry, 1 in 13. That's one loss, or no, one win in 13 losses. And we just barely beat a team that had four players, okay? You're supposed to have five, in case you didn't know that. Let's see, Dairy to Move by Switchfoot. For like, junior year of high school. I go back to junior year of high school, the year I grew out my hair, and I learned how to play the acoustic guitar because I wanted to be like John Foreman, and I started a band called Chasing Rabbits with my brother and a few other guys, and we made an album, and I have the album on, like, a digital copy of it, and I've been praying and debating about, like, releasing it, like... I just, like, I can't quite get myself to do it because I'm like, if we have any credibility with you guys, this might ruin all of it. And not because it's inappropriate. It's very PG. It's just really bad. Like, it's bad music. <laughs> In Between Dreams is an album by Jack Johnson, and that takes me back to my days as the stereotypical college campus guitar guy walking around the quad with my guitar in flip-flops and board shorts, singing banana pancakes for poor, unsuspecting college females who had no idea that all I knew how to do was play G, D, E minor, and C. That's like all you need. Like, ladies, don't fall for it. In the Christian world, it's the exact same thing. It's just worship songs instead of John Mayer or Jack Johnson. Do not fall for it. It's a trap. I'm not proud of this, but 
<laughs> I just need you to know. <laughs> so you can decide if you want to come back. <laughs> Good Grace by Hillsong United, which we're singing tonight as the final song, um, will always now remind me of this season of our church plant. Hearing music, sounds, this has a strong, it has strong nostalgic memory effects on the human brain. But who knows, who's smart enough to know which of the other four senses is even stronger than hearing? Smell, right? It's smell. It's smell. It's the, it, that's why, like, even the line at Terry Black's Barbecue does something good for your soul, right? Because smell, nostalgically speaking, is very, very powerful. And for Peter, this is my transition into the Bible. You're like, it's Easter. When are we going to open the Bible? Like, right, this is it right here. The Apostle Peter, let me, let me make the transition, the smell of a charcoal fire, a campfire, like you all know the smell, that smell is something that Jesus used to imprint into Peter's soul the implications of Easter, all right? I want to show you this. John chapter 18, if you have your Bible, go there. I'll give you some context as we get there. Um, at this point, Jesus, like they're on their way back to Jerusalem, and Jesus knows what's going to go down when they get back into Jerusalem, okay? He knows things are about to go south, and he tells his disciples, so they are well prepared, okay? The final supper has happened. Peter has promised Jesus Jesus, I'm not going anywhere. Even if things get ugly, I'm not, I'll be by your side through the thick, and the, the thick and the thin, Jesus. I'm not going anywhere, right? But then you know what happens. Judas betrays the location of Jesus. Jesus gets arrested, and all of the disciples, including Peter, run away and scatter and start following at a distance. And so here we go. John 18, starting in 15. Here we go. Simon Peter... And another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple, and by the way, this is John, the guy writing this, okay? He refers to himself this way all the time. Like John, the, the disciple that Jesus loved, the fastest of everybody, the best guy, the one with all the connections. He's referring to himself. Like all throughout John, go read it, it's funny. Because this disciple was known, was connected to the high priest. He got to go with Jesus. He got in. He went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter, poor Peter, had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back and spoke to the servant girl on duty there and brought Peter in. He's like, Peter, I'm, I'm going to get you in. Don't worry, I'm connected. The girl says this to Peter. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. <laughs> exactly what he said he would not do. It was cold, and the servants and the officials stood around a fire. A fire. Pay attention there. That is the Greek word anthrakia. I know I'm so smart. I Googled this two days ago. That's how I know it. Anthrakia. And it's, this is the first of only two times in the entire Bible that this Greek word is used. And it, it, it means a charcoal Fire, okay, so around a fire that they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself, and you know the rest of the story, right? Peter goes on to deny Jesus an additional two more times, while Jesus Christ, his best friend and Messiah, history's most familiar figure, gets unfairly tried, 
falsely accused, beaten, flogged, made fun of, spat on, and the next day nailed to a cross and crucified. We call this Good Friday. We call it Good Friday, which begs the question, why, why is it good if we call it Good Friday? And we'll get to that in a second. But, but side note, Jesus, or, or the Roman Empire, the Roman Empire demonstrated its power by crucifying people. Jesus demonstrated his power by being crucified. And in 2019, one of those two things is alive and is how we tell time. And the other you can go read about in history books because that's what it is. It's history. It's no longer here. And so Peter, back to Peter, around this charcoal fire experiences the lowest moment of his entire life. The lowest moment of his life, feeling disqualified in every way. I have just let Jesus down in the moment he needed me. And and Peter was like Jesus' boy. Like he was there with him, for him, through everything. And now he's like, when everything's on the line, I have failed. And I'm no longer worthy of love. I'm no longer worthy to be part of this. I've I've ruined God's plan for my life somehow. I'm I'm frustrated. Jesus is mad at me. I'm kind of mad at him, and I don't even know why, right? Like every human being, guys, at some point finds themselves in those kinds of moments or seasons where they must answer two of life's most formidable formidable questions, and, and that's this right here. What do I think about Jesus when push comes to shove and what does Jesus think about me, right? And as far as Peter's concerned, he's failed Jesus. Jesus has failed him. The answer to either of those questions is not good. I don't feel good about either of those things. And just to take you back and, and, and give this a little bit more story behind it, this is the Apostle Peter who has so much history with Jesus. He spent the last three years every day with Jesus. This is the Peter who was called by Jesus in Matthew 4. This is the Peter who walked on water, guys, with Jesus in Matthew 14. Like, how do you go from something like that to this, right? This is the same Peter who... who Uh, was the very first human ever to have a revelation that Jesus is the Son of God in Matthew 16. Like like Jesus later in that chapter hands Peter the keys to the kingdom and says, I'm going to build my church on you one day, Peter. In the next chapter, Matthew 17, he experiences the Mount of Transfiguration like with Jesus for three years, watches Jesus heal sick people and tell paralyzed people to stand up and walk, and they do, right? He, tells, he sees Jesus tell storms to stop being storms, and the weather listens to him. And Peter saw this happen. He saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the grave, right? Saw Jesus multiply food in front of his eyes. This same Peter who on this night promises this Jesus, I'm not going anywhere and I will not fail you, fails him and messes up in about the worst way a human being can. And catch this, and now it's the smell of a charcoal fire that is hauntingly seared into his memory to remind him that he has failed. 
And so I don't know if you have moments like that in your life. I have a list of them, right? I don't know if you can sometimes let yourself go there. I know sometimes there's so many things that happen that we just try to forget and I'll, I'll shut it out and I'll bury it. And it, 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 if I can keep it from surfacing, then I might feel pain subconsciously, but at least I don't have to suffer consciously. But if you can let yourself go there, maybe moments where you've experienced just how human you are, maybe you went farther than you ever thought you could go and darker than you ever thought possible and dirtier and angrier than you ever felt, just mad at yourself and, and mad at God. But that's where Peter is around this first fire, which is now the most disgusting smell in the world to him. Well, the scene changes from what Peter did that weekend to what Jesus did that weekend. The scene changes from where Peter failed to when Jesus did not. The scene changes to a picture that at first glance looks like defeat. But when you understand the context and the story... You see this picture and you know that's not defeat. That's actually the greatest victory that the universe shall ever know. And it's a picture of Jesus taking his final breath on a cross that the Roman Empire nailed to him. And we read about it in John chapter 19. Here it is. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty a jar of wine vinegar was there, and so they soaked a sponge in it, and they put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and they lifted it to Jesus' lips. And when he had received a drink, his final drink, Jesus said these three words right here, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head, and he gave up his spirit. And not just the Bible, but history books record in that moment the earth shakes the sky goes black and the curtain over at the temple is torn in two this is good friday once again if, if, if it's the day that jesus died why do we call it good friday and it's a great question and the answer to it is because there's more than what meets the eye in this moment there is actually something supernatural taking place here, okay? Because it's not just the physical torture that Jesus is experiencing in that moment. I don't think Jesus was afraid to die. The night before, right before he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating blood, pleading with God, his Father, to, to take this cup away, but yet not my will, but your will be done, the bravest prayer that you could ever pray. This cup that Jesus was talking about is not physical pain or even death. It's something spiritual and emotional, and here's what it is. It is the, like every single sin of every single human being who has ever existed, past, present, and future, placed on his shoulders in a single moment. Like you felt the shame from like one mess up and you know what that can do to your spirit. Think about this in this moment. Every single sin, every shortcoming, every failure 
Everything unholy placed on the shoulders of Jesus as he's hanging there on the cross, as he is forsaken by his father, as the wrath due all of that sin is poured out on him as he absorbs the punishment for all of it as the lamb to be slain, right? We call this, theologians call this double imputation. It sounds like, like super complex, it's actually not. Really what it is, is in one moment, we impute to Jesus our sin and shortcomings and imperfections. Our less than perfect record, we give it to Jesus on the cross. He pays for it, and then he imputes back to us his perfect record. His white as snow record, his holiness and his perfection. That's what we get, and it's completely free. It's yours, and you don't have to pay him back for any of it, right? We call this justification. Justification, and it's free, and it's by, it's by the grace of Jesus that we get by faith in Jesus. And not just in the fact that Jesus lived, but in the fact that Jesus is still alive, right? And this brings us to Sunday. This brings us to the reason that we are in this space today, gathering as a community. This, this brings us to, to, next to the cross, the most powerful moment and powerful event that will ever be recorded in history. And we're going to read about it in Mark chapter 16. This is Sunday, and here it is. When the Sabbath was over, so this is after Jesus has been killed and placed in a tomb, right? When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and uh, Salome, 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 I'm not sure, Salome. We'll call her Salome because I won't giggle if I accidentally, like, I'm just too immature. Don't get me started. I'm easily distracted. Salome. Mary, Mary, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint the body of Jesus. So, by the way, the first three evangelists ever for Jesus are three women. That's pretty awesome, right? Yeah. Very early on, the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white robes sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed, <gasps> which you would be too. <laughs> I did that for these guys because that's going to get them. That's going to get them. Don't be alarmed, he said, like easier said than done, right? <gasps> Don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified, the best three words in the Bible, and you have permission to cheer when I say this, he has risen, amen? He has risen. This tomb and Chick-fil-A on a Sunday are very, very similar. You show up and nobody is there. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. And he's not there. And so go, tell the disciples, and what? And tell Peter. Specifically, God wanted them to know that you need to go and get Peter, right? 
How crazy is this, you guys? Because of this, because of Sunday, you and I now live in a day and age where the impossible has suddenly become possible. And here's what I mean. If God can raise Jesus from the dead, then God can forgive your sins. He can free you from an addiction. He can heal broken marriages. He can restore wounded relationships. He can resurrect lost and forgotten dreams. He can heal the sick, and he can certainly build a church in Austin, right? Certainly can do that. And this just like this doesn't just apply corporately to like Christians. This applies specifically to you individually, right? Like you're you're not the one that this doesn't apply to. You are not the one who who like shocked Jesus with how bad you are at messing up. You are not the one who's better at sinning than he is at saving you, right? You are not the one who is unlovable. You're not the one who ruined God's plan for your life. You are not the exception. And you want to know how I know that? Because if there were ever to be an exception to this, it would have been Peter in this moment. With his history with Jesus and the amount that he knew and what he was probably accountable to. If anybody was going to ruin God's plan for his life, it would have been Peter. But God, on I don't know if God has like busy weekends, but this would have been the busiest weekend of his entire eternal life, right? And in this weekend, God takes the time to pick an angel as a messenger and send that angel to the tomb with a message for Mary and Mary and Salome. To go tell the disciples that Jesus is not here and specifically told this guy to, or this angel or this messenger to let them know to go get Peter because Peter's discouraged right now. And I need him to know that he has not gone too far and that he has not ruined my plans for his life. Peter's about to, to learn that he is not defined by his sin or his shortcomings but rather by what Jesus did that weekend. Because you know where Peter is right now? He's fishing. He's a a fisherman. That's what he grew up doing until he decided to go follow Jesus, and now he figures, well, (laughs) ruin that. I'm no longer usable. If Jesus does come back, he's going to pick somebody else to help him out. I might as well go back to the one thing I know I can't mess up, which is fishing. And that's exactly what he does. And so you think in John chapter 21 right here, which is our third and final scene, think about what hangs in the balance in this moment. Jesus has just conquered sin and nonchalantly walked out of the tomb that he borrowed with the keys to hell swinging on his finger like it was no big deal conquered the grave, and is soon to ascend to his place at the right hand of God for the rest of forever. That's what Jesus is doing. Peter is under the impression that he's messed up everything, and Peter is fishing, right? I don't know if you've ever found yourself in that kind of moment where, once again, you are just so aware of your humanity and so aware of everything that you're not And all the ways that you fall short, and all the ways that you don't measure up, all the ways that you can't. And so you check out, because you'll do anything not to be in reality. You'll do anything not to feel this right now. Like, what is fishing for you, right? 
You'll do anything just to, to go back to something where I just simply don't have to feel and I don't have to wonder what God thinks about me right now because surely it's not good. What Peter is about to learn, though, is that this is Sunday, and because of Easter, sin and imperfections no longer have the final say in his life. Jesus has the final say in his life. And do you know how I know that? Because Jesus is not in the tomb. Jesus went to the beach, walked out of his tomb, and went to the beach to go find Peter, who is in a boat with the rest of his boys, 50 yards offshore, fishing. And that's where Jesus goes to find them. And Jesus says this, watch this, John 21, halfway through verse 5. Look at the first word that Jesus uses. Walks out onto the beach, sees Peter out there and, and, and with all the other guys and yells, Friends! That's not the word that I would have chosen if I'm Jesus in this moment. How about like, guys, are you serious? I could have used some friends over the past two days, and you guys are fishing. That's why I'm not God. Look at what Jesus says. Friends. Friends. That's not circumstantial language. That's family language. That's covenant language right there. Friends, haven't you any fish? Who's the guy showing up yelling to the fishermen who are frustrated because they've been fishing all night and they've caught nothing? And now this guy that they don't know is Jesus yet shows up and says, Hey, have you guys caught anything? Like you're annoyed in that moment, right? No, they answered. So Jesus said, Okay, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did... They were unable to haul the net in because of a large number of fish. So, if you go read Luke chapter 5 this week, what you'll learn is that this is an inside joke between Jesus and Peter. The disciples had inside jokes, which is awesome. Because this is how Peter and Jesus first met. Luke chapter 5 is, is when Jesus showed up in Peter's life the first time. And Peter was 50 yards offshore fishing, catching nothing all night. And Jesus in that moment said the exact same thing. And so Peter is now suspicious, throws the net over to the right side. And when it fills up with fish and they pull the net in and it's so full that they can't eat, like the boat starts to tip over, Peter realizes in this moment, I've seen this before. That's Jesus on the beach. The guy who was annoying me two minutes ago, that is Jesus on the beach. And the Bible says in that moment, Peter gets so flustered that he puts his jacket back on and jumps into the water. And we know historically he could not swim. <laughs> and he starts just doggy paddling to Jesus. He just has to get to him, which is crazy because a few nights before, after they all scattered, it says that Peter followed Jesus at a distance, afraid of what Jesus thought about him. And now, all of a sudden, he has to get to Jesus so bad that he'll jump in the water and doggy paddle in. And he finally gets to the shore. And I just pictured the boat, like, showing up at the exact same time. Like, hey, if you just waited, we caught a wave in, Peter. But Peter had to get to Jesus. And look at John 21, verse 9 right here. When they landed... When they got to the, to the shore, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And the smell comes back. Guess what that Greek word right there is? Anthrakia, the same word. 
the second and final time it's used in the entire Bible. On purpose by John. On purpose by Jesus. Jesus, guys. The Son of God. The one who is cooking breakfast on the beach. The one who is the Alpha and the Omega. The one who was there in the beginning and spoke creation into existence. And designed fire. And designed our five senses. That Jesus uses the smell, the haunting and familiar smell of a charcoal fire and the sense that has our best nostalgic power to take Peter back to the worst, the worst moment of his life just a few nights before. Why? To make him feel bad for it? No. To make fun of him and say, Peter, we're going to take this whole thing in a new direction and we're going to go with somebody else. No. To correct him and discipline him? No. He takes Peter back to the scene of Peter's crime. That was once a reminder of his greatest failure. That once reeked with the smell of a charcoal fire. That once was a prison of his regret. And he rewrites it, and he flips it, and it's now a souvenir of grace for Peter to take with him moving forward, all right? And so, I don't know if you guys can see this, I couldn't bring actual bonfires in, so I have little candles, but just go with me. And Ben, you guys can come up. If this right here is the bonfire where Peter denied Jesus the worst night of his life, if that's the first anthracia, the first fire, where Peter realized that he did not have what it takes and that he failed, then this right over here is the second anthracia that Jesus made on the beach a few days later to cook Peter breakfast and reinstate him and remind him that he is loved, and remind him that he is chosen, and remind Peter that what you're not, I am, and when you can't, I can. And the space between, the timeline between these two fires is Easter. This is Easter right here. And I am convinced, you guys, that for the rest of Peter's life, every time he smelled that smell of a charcoal fire, which back in his day, I bet was every single day, every time he smelled that, it was no longer this haunting, haunting smell and memory of the night that he ran away from Jesus. But from that moment on, it now reminded him of the morning that Jesus walked out of a tomb and ran to him to find him, right? See, I don't know, like, uh, like I'll, 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 I'll use me as an example. I have a long and extensive list of things that I've done in ways that I've fallen short, in ways that I have not measured up, both when I did not know better and since I've known better, right? All the ways that make me sometimes feel like a failure as a pastor, all, like, sometimes, like the things that make me feel unworthy to have the life that I have or the job that I have or the family that I have to be a part of this community, like unworthy to be in the room, sitting around a first fire 
thinking about all the ways that I don't measure up and that I personally don't have what it takes. I have a long, long list. And that used to really get me, man. It used to really get me. It used to be like my, my story used to be full of reminders of shame and prisons of regret. And I'm not sure like when it was. See, this is why you can never hear this story enough. It's kind of like going to the gym. There's not like that moment where you realize like, now I'm in shape. You just, you go and you go and you go and you go. And before you know it, you look back and you're like, I'm not sure when it happened, but something worked. And the more I've heard the story of Easter and the gospel of Jesus, and I've preached it over myself and I, I show up to church and I sing songs in the community like this and let the words just kind of wash over me. Over 10 years of following Jesus, something has flipped and Jesus has rewritten my past and rewritten my story. And what the devil intended for bad, Jesus has turned to good and it's no longer prison cells full of regret and reminders of shame. I now have a whole list of souvenirs of grace that I get to stand up here and share with you that when I wasn't enough, Jesus was. And when I failed, he didn't. And if that's true for me, then that's true for you. And if that's true for Peter, then I pray promise you that that is true for you as well. These are now weapons for heaven that I can take with me forward. Amen. So this is for somebody in here. And I know this because it's just so strongly on, on, on my heart. I don't know if you're struggling with addiction of some kind, whether it's alcohol or drugs or pornography or anger or bitterness or whatever it is. And you've, you've been living in a prison cell of regret, a prison cell of addiction. Here's what, here's what when Jesus said it is finished on the cross, whatever prison cells you and I sit in with our first fire theology, feeling like we don't measure up, the lock is now off of that prison cell because of Good Friday. That's why it's called Good Friday, right? And like you might, like maybe you've been in that for a while now, and I get that. And I just want to tell you, man, there will come a day in your life, and I'm praying it sooner than later. In the name of Jesus, I am speaking that over your life, where you will be free of addiction. And it will no longer define who you are. And so you keep coming back. The, the doors are wide at this church. You have family here. You have community here. You keep on coming. You keep on coming because, and you keep letting the, 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 the story of Easter wash over your life and the grace of Jesus. Let it be sung over your spirit. And I promise you, there will come a day where you will find the strength to stand up and walk out of this prison cell. And rather than it be a prison cell, you will stand on top of it and use it as a platform to tell the world about how I used to be an addict until the grace of God. Let me tell you about Jesus and Easter and how he flipped my past. And if that's true for me, that can be true for you as well. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. And that's what we need, man. We don't need Christians who don't understand the implications of what has happened between these two fires. We don't need Christians sitting in prison cells where the lock has already been broken off and the door is open. It's open, right? And so which, which fire is your focus fixated on? On all the ways that you've messed up 
And I bet for some of you, you have a specific memory and moment that you're positive that disqualifies me and I will never feel freedom from that. And I'm here to tell you, I can't wait to watch you find out how wrong you are. Or do you fixate on this fire? The God of everything, the creator of the universe is fixing breakfast for you on the beach, if you will. To remind you that the world already has a savior and it's not you, it's not me, it's not any of us, it's him. And what he did between two fires now defines everything about our lives, Christian. Your focus is kind of like lighter fluid. (laughs) I don't know if you've ever experienced the joy of spraying lighter fluid on a campfire. It is one of the greatest things you can experience this side of heaven. And I was going to do it, but like your aim has to be really good on these candles. So I'm not going to. But if you want this later, you come find me. What you feed flames. Your thoughts, your fixation is like lighter fluid. The fire that you focus on is the fire that grows in your life. The fire that you starve is the fire that dies in your life. Which one are you focused on? Which one are you focused on? Are you first fire theology or are you Easter theology? There is no third option. Because I don't know if you'd like Peter's story, you guys, what he did from this point on. Did you know that Peter went on to be the rock that the church was built on? The church that you and I are still building today? on April 21st, 2019. And did you know the only way we know it's April 1st, 2019 is because Jesus, the why behind all of this, divided history in half? And did you know that Jesus, or that Peter, I'm sorry, went on to become also one of history's most formidable figures because of what Jesus did in him and through him? And did you know that even though Peter got off to a rocky start, even though he denied Jesus not once, not twice, but three times to a 14-year-old girl around a bonfire, that he went on to start the church end in 67 AD when Rome crucified him as well. He requested that they crucify him upside down because he did not feel worthy to be killed in the same way that his best friend and and savior, Jesus Christ, was killed in. Does that sound like a man who is still living in that bonfire that Thursday night before Jesus was arrested? Or does that sound like a man who is defined by what Jesus is and what Jesus says about him? There comes a point, Christian, in all of our walks of faith where we must make the decision, which one am I going to focus on and which one am I going to feed? Because whatever I feed will flame and the one that I starve will die. I am here to tell you that you are no longer, because of Good Friday, because he said it is finished and because he walked out of his tomb, And because you have faith in that and you are freely justified and you've experienced double imputation and because God now looks at you and he he doesn't see your mistake from last night, he sees Jesus literally. Because of that, you are no longer defined by abuse. You're just not. This is a new covenant reality and world that you and I now live in. 
David, Moses, Abraham did not know what you and I get to experience here. And you are not defined by this. This is more real than gravity is real. You are not defined by an abortion. You are not defined by an addiction. You are not defined by an, a, a divorce or rejection or any failure or any shortcoming or any sin. You don't get to do that anymore. We now live in a day and age, my favorite thing to say, we now live in a day and age where dead messiahs stand up and walk out of their tombs. And because of that, you're not defined by this fire anymore. This is a new covenant era, and you are now defined by what happened between two fires. It is called Easter, and it has, in every way imaginable, divided history in half. And this is the half that we get to live in. And so let's sing. Let's stand up right now. We're going to pray. We're going to sing. And you keep coming back, and you keep singing this even when you don't feel it. And reading about it even when you feel like it's not taking and it's not clicking. And keep showing up for life group. And keep going to get Starbucks and talking about how amazing Jesus is, right? And keep picking yourself up when you fall and when you stumble. And keep reminding yourself about the second fire. And keep reminding yourself that, that Jesus is everything that you're not. And in your weaknesses, he is strong. And like working out, at some point you'll look back and you'll go, oh my gosh. That's not a reminder of shame anymore for me. <laughs> That's not a story about how bad the devil is in my life anymore. That's a story about how good Jesus is in my life. Let me tell you about that. That's a testimony. And man, so many of you are that close to it. The only missing piece is this second fire. And I pray this Easter Sunday, you might find like, like in your spirit, yourself sitting on a beach with Jesus, eating breakfast, realizing how real this is. Amen.